0: Hi, and welcome to the Heart Leader Podcast, where heart and mind align. I am your host, Amber, and today I am rejoined by Rangina Hamidi. Rangina was with us once before on this podcast and shared her amazing story, so I would greatly encourage you, if you have time, to go back and watch that podcast, because this time I'm not going to go back through all of that. I'm going to take the time to briefly introduce her because she is the former Minister of Education for Afghanistan, and that's what leads us into our discussion today, all centered around empathy, because she comes at this subject from that space in a very unique way, from that role that she played. But that's not the only space she comes at that role from. She has had a lifetime having honed that skill of empathy through so many experiences, so many aspects in her life that don't revolve just around that role as the minister of education. And so while that's an amazing aspect of what she's done in her life, it's who she is as a core person that has her sitting in this chair today. And that's what I want to take time to dive into. So Rangina, as I said last time, having you here is always, always, always just an honor. And I really appreciate you coming in and sharing just this amazing perspective you have from your soul. And given the life journey that you chose to experience here, the way that you can share that with others and help them see things from a different point of view, I think just adds so much value.
1: Thank you. It's an honor to be here with you again. and I look forward to a great conversation.
0: Thank you. So our subject being empathy. I know you and I off of all of these cameras talk a lot about how so often we are quick to put people in categories Mm -hmm. and then label according to those categories because it's so much easier for us to then say, oh, I understand them because of that. But you come at things from a very different way of being. Can you explain how you look at life and people not as categories but as outcomes of experiences that build upon one another
1: well thank you and
0: yes that your question is a question that lingers
1: in my mind um, constantly Uh, because as i compare myself to others other human beings um and we all we all human beings we always do that to ourselves. I often wonder what is it that enables me to see the lives of others in a light that I don't often, at least, if not seeing, I don't hear it being expressed by others in the same form of understanding or. Uh, it just, I think human beings, we are generally just too quick, as you rightfully said, to jump to conclusions, to categorize people, to stamp and label people. And the labeling, um, I think, takes away from that natural and human experience of wanting to understand what their experience in life might have been that might have led them to be labeled as such. I'm not, I'm not saying that labeling is good, but if we are to label a certain group of people, a certain category of people, a certain gender of people, men and women and, and, and other genders now too, um, why are people the way they are? As adults and usually we do it to adults right we're much more cruel to each other as adults than we are as children because children don't see boundaries children are born with this beautiful um, you know all-encompassing love they'll go to anybody or anything that is nice to them and kind to them regardless of the color of the skin the type of hair the type of clothes that one wears um, it's interesting because my um, daughter who's 12 and a half. Um, we were recently, I believe, I we were in a mall just last weekend. And we, where we were sitting having lunch and then uh, stayed on to have coffee, a family came with a baby, a family that doesn't look like us, that, you know, is not probably not of the origin of where i and my family come from and the baby the mother's holding the baby and the baby is just you know looking at me and you know us and of course we're making gestures to communicate with the baby in the form and the shape that we can and the baby started smiling and laughing and giggling and and my daughter turns back turns around to me and she says what is it that you do with babies that they always respond this way so you know, I look at it and take it personally saying that, you know, I cover, I look different, right? And in the stereotypical world of human beings, and especially in the Western world, we see the image of a Muslim woman as oppressive or oppressed and, um, you know, associated with things that are not so good and not so great. And yet, you know, I I take that experience of that baby or the many babies that smile, and the many children that smile at me, wherever they may see me, is that they see beyond the 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 cloth, the clothes, you know, the attire that we choose. And I guess that's the experience that unfortunately we adults block ourselves, you know, actively prevent ourselves from experiencing is to see beyond the outer appearance of what other human beings uh, may look like. Um, and that's that's an incredibly, both painful, but also a very sad thing that we we've taken this incredible gift that we have as human beings to be able to see beyond the boundaries, yet we are so fixated on these boundaries that are man-made, really, defined by various different cultures and societies but we just stop ourselves at these boundaries and never
0: take a moment to step beyond the boundaries that block us really this episode of the heart leader podcast was brought to you by stephen douglas Stephen Douglas is one of the nation's leading boutique search and interim resources firms and has been recognized as a leader in identifying and providing access to top talent for clients since 1984. Whether it's a company preparing to go to the next level or a candidate looking for better opportunities, Stephen Douglas keeps the focus on the needs of the people they serve. They specialize in connecting the right talent to a company's needs while also understanding what the market demands. To learn more about this amazing organization, visit them at stephendouglas.com. Yes, all I can say to that is yes. Where do you feel we start to cross over into that threshold? Because we were honestly just having this conversation with someone at lunch today. It's almost like there's this point where we start to get told this is your box with your group. And so this is where you stay and don't begin to journey out of that box because that box is this and that box is this and that box is this and you don't belong in those boxes. Well, it, it, it. In all
1: cultures, across all cultures and ethnicities in the world, it really starts with parents, or the adults surrounding that child, or the children growing. Um, and it may not be in the early, eight, you know, years, probably around five, six ish, when a natural child, a child naturally wants to start building relationships, because even from a developmental. Point of view that's the age when they're starting to copy their parents copy the adults around them except that's, that's part of growing that's part of becoming an elder kid and it's really those the boundaries that the parents start or the adults around the children start drawing around that time that kids slowly start to constrict themselves because if we don't they're 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 very intuitive they're very explorative They'll, they'll they're like scientists they'll go and explore and experiment with anything and everything that comes their way but as you said adults tell kids no don't do this because you don't belong this is not for you you're not like them that's not your space and as children you know we it's it's wrong to expect little kids at that age to be able to know the difference and know the nuances of, is this adult guiding me, telling me what to do? Is he or she correct or not? They don't. I mean, that's why they're children. They're growing. They're learning. And so they start believing that that's what it is. And as they grow older and older and older, by the time they become adults, it's it's a it become it's a sick it's a cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So when they are parents or if they're around children, then they'll pass on what was passed on to them. And as I say this, does this mean that I didn't get that growing up? You know, when I see myself experiencing or or applying empathy in my life? Um I'm I'm not denying that. I I think I also had my share of where I belong and where I don't belong. Parents telling me, no, this is your place, or no, this is not your place. But I think once we become adults, um, we have the luxury and the liberty, particularly in societies like the West, where, you know, libraries are part of life, right? Books, movies, uh, films, documentaries. There's so much that many people take for granted here in, in developed societies like America or Europe or other developed nations, um, where even as adults, we don't take the the necessary time and the necessary uh, commitment to commit to learning or de-learning or unlearning some of the you know critical things in our minds that may have been instilled by our parents or our adults who are taking care of us as as children and and again they were doing it to protect us too i think it's it's not always vicious and in a malicious way it's they are product of that same cycle and so of course to be protective of your child you're you're going to you're going to instill the values that were instilled in you right uh, but there's always room for breaking that cycle and or uh adding new things to that cycle. You don't even have to break it, but expand it, make the cycle or the circle bigger. And in that room, create space for wanting to understand
0: more than what you have. Yeah, like honor the tradition, not put that to the side, but then just expand upon that tradition and understand we have our tradition But there's tradition in all of these other boxes as well. And if we understand that love is what flows through all of them, then we can utilize the love as the common language between them instead of keeping them all separate. Let's utilize the love as the language. Mm -hmm. And that's where we find the empathy. Exactly. Exactly. And so when we talk, that's what I see occurring in you. It's You have not once that I've ever seen or known you sacrificed your faith and your belief Mm. in order to uphold your empathy. I don't have to. And that is a treasure. So to be able to express to others, I'm not sacrificing myself to see you as you are because many people feel like they have to sacrifice self to hold right. empathy for someone else right. right and so that's another question i have for you is how do you stand so so strong in who you are while also recognizing that you can be strong in who you are and i can still empathize with you and where you are but not lose myself in you, nor anticipate that you're gonna lose yourself in me. Mm. Because there is that fear that many hold that, oh no, if I if I empathize with you, then I'm gonna lose myself in that.
1: Well, I think that's part of having faith and conviction in the belief system that we all have in one shape or form or the other. Um you know, being a religious studies major, a religious a religion student, really, because I, 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 that's what I studied, and I loved it. And I, I think, a lot of the world's problems today could potentially be remedied, if not solved, if we really started to re-examine or revisit the religious realm in each of the, you know, spiritual journeys that each religion has to offer. I think um, I don't want to sound controversial here, because I know there is a freedom of religion in America, and, and that's 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 one of the beautiful things about America to allow anybody and everybody to practice as they wish. So of course I, uh, you know, value incredibly a lot this 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 right to be able to practice any faith you want. But having the freedom to have a belief system is not the same as shunning away any faith or any belief system. Um, I'm I'm seeing a lot of... Uh, so my daughter is now in school here in America. She's in a public school in Phoenix. And uh, she comes home and she's a... She's a Young child, and we have a very close relationship. And she talks to me, and I I talk to her because I think that's the job of any parent, to be able to live the process of growing up with your children, right? And and a lot of that requires communication, and communication is talking and listening and conversing, and that's how, uh, and that's kind of the foundation of empathy because you start to understand and realize other other people's problems whether it's your child your neighbor your friend your god even your enemy until and unless you start talking to them how are you going to understand um so the common language and language of course is another issue but the common language of the heart right yes. once you start communicating through the heart is when you start to realize that there's not so much difference between us than what was either taught to me or what I perceived or what I I thought there was. And so faith and religion, in my opinion, coming back to that, so much of the world narratives focus on the differences that exist in all these variety of faiths across the globe. But if you really study it, All faiths have very similar principles kind of interweaving in these various faiths, which is respect, love, compassion, mercy, kindness. These are all virtues that lead one to become empathetic and compassionate. And what I'm seeing with the stories that my daughters telling me is that more and more people are losing those virtues which once defined us as human beings and for the fear of being uh, diplomatically correct you hold yourself from saying anything because you you're afraid that you might offend somebody and so i think one of the reasons why I've been able to convey what I am, who I am and what I believe. And so, you know, so confidently in what I do and who I talk to is I don't expect people to believe the same thing that I believe, but by being, by sharing my story and my belief and my, um, experiences with others, I'm hoping that they can understand what I have gone through while understanding their experiences, because You know, this this the virtue of compassion that weaves across all faiths and practices and communities. And again, it doesn't even have to be faith based. It's just mercy and kindness are two things that human beings, regardless of where you are, what color of skin you have, what language you speak, people have always strived for that. And so, if you can share that commonality, then that's the basic component of beginning un- to understand each other from in 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 the context of where they are so i think it's really communication which leads back to education you know i, I weave it back to why i did the why i took the position that i did is because education is such an incredible tool to to provide the necessary skills for our children early on so that they can become compassionate merciful, kind, caring individuals in all aspects of decisions that they make in life and that they take in life, which all leads to empathy. Unfortunately, with a lot of the current modern issues and things that we have to deal with, I almost fear that we're almost getting away from that because we're rewarding kids to become antisocial rather than social. And that's what we're doing with technology, aren't we? Yes. because we are we're basically marrying a child to his or her computer or a gadget more so than the human and since we know since the time of adam and eve we've all interacted with human beings and that's the form of relationships we know as a base not with some computer or gadget that we've created ourselves so I think there's a lot to be said about what we're doing as a society, particularly in the education sector, what we're doing to our children and what it also, you know, kind of forces me to uh, believe more and more so is that parents have an incredibly much more important role to play in their children's lives than they did in the past. Because in the past, schools kind of did a little bit of the upbringing of the child. Now, for many reasons, schools are not supposed to schools are not allowed to, so the entire pressure of raising a good child falls back on the family, the adults that this kid you know that kid is being raised under, and that environment and so it's and then we also know unfortunately how much that space is being troubled yes. with all various things so it's it's a it's a complicated thing and I don't know if I answered your question but it's it's all of these elements put together and and I feel like we have to do something about it as human as as humanity. We can't just sit and accept things that are going wrong or things that are going in the wrong direction and say, "You know what? That's not my space to talk, that's not my space to touch." We yeah. can't
0: afford to as human beings anymore. And that is when we look at the layers of empathy. Yes, it starts with empathy for self, even like, okay, I have to understand that I'm not going to be perfect and I can have empathy for that. But what is that showing me? Like, there's got to be something here that I can do that can address what's going on within so that then I can look outside at what's going on within my family, within my community. We've got to do something, as you said, about what is the state of our being within our human element and how we're going to navigate that. Because when we can't find teachers to teach our children because of the state that we're in right now, that's speaking to a grander issue. When parents are now anticipated to homeschool their children because we can't find enough teachers, but they don't have the time to because both parents have to work or there's a single parent and their only option is to work, then how are children going to learn the foundation of having empathy? They're on their own, right? So, and their only option is to learn from an online element And that computer isn't going to teach them empathy because it's a machine. It's not, there's no human element to that. So everything you're pointing out does reflect, okay, how are we going to solve this? How are we? What are the base elements? And the more that we talk about this and the more we point out there are tools, there are things that we can do, but how are we going to implement them? And
1: you're absolutely right. The tools. Could potentially be um, going back to some stories, moral stories that were written. You know, I I grew up with my great grandmother who was living with us at that time, and then my grandma, and then my mother. We used to hear, the, you know, the fairy tales, but the fairy tales of of my time growing up in my culture, my society, they were not the love stories, you know, they were not the little princess falling in love with a prince and being carried away. Um, Our stories or my stories were mostly moral stories that I grew up with, you know, things about lying and cheating and theft and um, justice, really, even, you know, what unjust people end up you know, seeing in life and how do just people who are just in their cause and in their actions how they're rewarded. And so, as a child, I think it's important to to be raised with these elements um, of being bigger than yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the you know it's 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 interesting because my part of the world today is is a very troubled. Meaning my part, where I came from, Afghanistan, and Afghanistan, right now, is a story that is uh, kind of seen and presented and reported as, as a as a horrific, vicious place for these people that are called the Taliban, and they're just monsters, and they're, you know, doing everything and anything in their capacity to hurt a society, particularly its women and i get that i'm not saying i'm not denying the fact that there's a lot of horrible things happening in that society but as i sit you know thousands of miles away from my country today and i and i reflect on you know an, a group of people that yes they are ruling or they're wanting to rule with a different different set of rules and values and and things that that are near and dear to them. I just always ask myself when the reporters or the politicians or leaders stamp a group even as vicious as we may call it, the Taliban, you can never even think the environments or the families in which they grew up. Why are they the way they are? you know and 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 it you know a, a movement like the Taliban doesn't come to fruition overnight some elements of politics have invested in that particular group for many many years this is a product of many years of training and education and a belief that has been instilled and nurtured and fed and today, if they're out of that project, if we may call it, and they're practicing what they have been taught, we're then punishing them for believing what they believe. Yet nobody ever takes the, uh, you know, the critical matter into their heart to understand why are we punishing those who are implementing when we need to go back to the roots of. What caused this? And so similarly, you know, America has always been a great nation. It's a world power for sixty-seven, seventy 70 years. It's, you know, a leader of the world economically, um, educationally, technologically, politically, you know, it's, it's a leader in a lot of great aspects. But as we speak, we know that it's Now being questioned, the democracy of America, the power and the prestige that America had globally, it's under question, including to some people here in America. And so what is causing this decay, if we may call, if I may call it that, but then attaching this potential decay of this great power with what we're doing with the future generations? in American politics and this is maybe i'm maybe i'm just really stretching this far but quite honestly in my experience of spending almost 20 years in afghanistan my country's people the people of afghanistan loved america in 2001 and did you know why they loved it because of the the relationship that the relationship and the leadership that america showed the people of afghanistan from the 1950s and 60s where america showed its empathy and compassion and caring through development of projects that they invested in in afghanistan so these were the long term the long term projects like the dams and the roads and the hospitals and the universities america kind of proving to the afghan people that we want to work with you as partners as friends because development education, progress, you know, forward is a good thing. In 2001, when America first went, Afghans overwhelmingly welcomed Americans to say, oh my God, these were the, the, the caring partners, the caring, the, the caring America that's coming back. 20 years later, unfortunately, America did not show the care that it did in the 50s and 60s because this time the focus of America was more on the military quick quick fix and empathy is not a quick thing you can't you can't just throw something at somebody and expect them to love you and respect you and want you you know overnight it's a process it's a relationship building it's showing that you care and you have to do it for you know period of time and in the past 20 years these quick fix projects the 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 policy that America went with winning the hearts and minds, yet America didn't do anything for the hearts and minds. It was consistently engaged with fighting and killing and calling someone a terrorist and calling someone a murderer and calling this and calling that. That doesn't win hearts and minds. Hearts and minds are won by projects by partnerships by showing that you care you want to give them the same development that you're enjoying. And asking what do you need exactly communication How can right? Can we
0: help? What is it? Yes. And being transparent if you can't yes. do something. Yes. That's not within our bandwidth. That's not a project we can support right now. Those are all fine answers. Being being taking responsible decisions of
1: being able to say no when you need to say no, and saying yes when you can say yes. Yes, and I, I think America didn't do that. And so, leaving Afghanistan aside, what I'm seeing right now, being away from America for twenty years and then coming back to it as a much more, uh, you know, experienced adult, uh, it scares me that. You know, many people take politics and treat it as this hardcore, um, very technical thing. But politics is very much about empathy and compassion and passion, you know, and mercy and kindness. And the whole purpose of USAID, the reason that that entity is created is to be able to help other countries and other nations and other societies, right? Yes. With assistance that we can afford. Uh, because we are privileged as American citizens to be able to do that. Yet when when aid goes with a mission other than just, you know, compassion or mercy, then it's politicized and politics destroys countries. And so um, my fear in bringing this topic up is that I'm afraid that America is kind of, cutting its own legs in a sense, if I may compare it to that. Internationally, politically, it's done a lot of bad and they don't know how to fix. Here in country, the future of America lies with the children of today. And if we're not teaching them properly and appropriately with the values and the virtues and the principles, that they need to become good leaders. I really am afraid for America's future. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make this political, but I can't help but think of the long-term impact of what the things we don't practice as human beings today, its impacts on our futures that we are creating for us.
0: I can absolutely empathize <laughs> to stick with the flow in that perspective. I mean, I I have a sense that most people around the world, especially after what we navigated with the pandemic, they have a sense among many countries. Yes, the United States certainly is a, a forerunner <laughs> in what we navigated. But many countries, anywhere, there were cracks in the political system. They were highlighted. And we all have had this amazing opportunity to step back and go, there are so many things here that are not functioning as intended. And empathy for citizens, as we navigated through this, who showed it and who did not? Who was there doing what a government's intention is, which is to support citizens in times of crisis, and who was not? And I don't mind it going political because ultimately the whole point of being a heart leader is to understand when you're leading, it should come from that place of empathy, compassion, compassion. Being there for one another. That's why we create communities. That's why we create governmental systems. That's why we create religions, belief systems. Like, that's the support that brings us all together through love, through our connection. Yes, we mentally have to have thought and think about all right, what do we do next? What do we do next? And that's what you're bringing forward. Hey, we've highlighted. There are some really serious issues on the horizon for us. Mm -hmm. And if we don't take the time to go into our hearts and ask ourselves, what are we going to do about this? Because in our thought, we can mentally see this framework is not going to get us where we desire to go long term. Mm -hmm. Then we are not going to have a sustainable future in these areas. Mm -hmm. So now what do we do? We're not going to blame each other. we're not going to cast stones. We're going to have empathy for what God is here, and now we need to pivot and figure out what we do now and that's the point that I'm receiving from you
1: well i i uh, thank you and i and that's exactly the point is I hope that I didn't come out as um blaming anybody, but I think part of growth um the process of growth is to be able to recognize and understand what is working and what is not. Exactly. Until we can make that distinction, it's going to be very difficult to break the cycle of a wrong that we might be doing. Um, and, you know, I think we touched upon this in the last session as well, this whole notion of ego. I think empathy also Being empathetic also requires one to crush your egos, right? Because it's the ego that forces you to believe that you're better than the other or that you're different, maybe more elevated, maybe in a different, better state than others. Um, And once you crush that ego to say, no, I'm just the same human being in a different body in a different context in a different environment but living and experiencing the same life that life has meant for now what is it eight billion people yeah that that that's that's what brings us back and to tie it back to religion one of the main purposes of all faiths of all faiths whether monotheistic or polytheistic is to crush the ego. There's not a single religion, in my opinion, that promotes egoism or egotistic person. It's always going and crushing and against that because part of the human experience is that we human beings believe that we know everything and we can do everything, which is a good thing. I mean, it enables us to do a lot of things that we have been able to do for ourselves. But at the same time, too much of that can also cause damage. And so being empathetic forces you to not be an egotistic person because if you are, you're you're not empathetic. So it's almost kind of like a parallel or hand-in-hand uh, uh, values that you need to understand what others are going through to be able to understand and and particularly if you're in a leadership position or in the position of being able to assist others, how wonderful it will be, Amber. Think about it. To have a great world leader understand what the poorest of the poor community in the world is going through and make your policies and your decisions based on that understanding rather than the greedy, selfish, egotistic decisions of I'm great, and I want to get greater.
0: Yeah. We often talk about it as using ego as a tool and not a weapon, right? Because ego helps you identify your individuality in many ways. Sure, sure. So there's a purpose for it. But when it starts driving your bus, when it starts saying... Which often it does. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) not only am I an individual, but I am the greatest. Right. Individual, right. or it can go the opposite way and be so under, like I'm not worthy of anything. So there's like got to be a healthy little balance, balance, there. right? The mid, but like point. healthy yeah. little balance. Yeah. But if it's if it's so overused that yeah, you can't connect to the human element, then that's where empathy just cannot be even connected to, hmm. and so. Do you have tools that you utilize or that you could even recommend to people that you find that you go back to to connect with empathy? Or if you're teaching children, I know that that was one of the things that you really held dear to you was teaching children. How do you teach empathy?
1: With children, there's no limits. And what I mean is no limits in the amount of love, care, compassion, empathy, love that you can give. Spoil kids with love and, and, and just kindness
0: as much as we can. Okay, so a kid this, grabs a so toy, kid, hits another kid no, over the you, head with a toy. No, I didn't mean it that way. And <laughs> says, how do you walk into that situation and show teach them about empathy after that because I know as a parent I definitely experienced that with my young one where he was like my toy bam no (laughs) there's a there's prime opportunity right right there for teaching empathy
1: absolutely and what I've done at least in my experience whether it was my own child and luckily I've been blessed with a child who never you know she experienced others the other um, side of that but um never her and I actually had to help her say Or help her respond by saying, you know, you don't need to just stand quietly when somebody attacks you. Because she's a girl and she's going to turn into a woman. And knowing how cruel the world is to women, I want her to be able to defend herself at least. Not be an instigator of violence, but be able to defend herself. protect, yeah. To protect herself. But for kids who are the other way, what I've done uh, when I was in school, after the incident, I would calmly talk with that child, even as little as five or six-year-old. You know, these are the mm-hmm. kindergartners. And I say, would you would have liked to be hit the way you hit that other person? You know, it's never too early to tell children to put themselves in other people's shoes. And I think that that's the base of it, right? Don't for our audience listening and and watching us you know we underestimate the power that children do have at those young age to be able to learn and understand they do understand but it's we belittle them we adults belittle them saying oh he's just a kid you know i've seen mothers protect and defend their abusive children to other children, oh he's so oh, she's just a child, well, no, yes, they're a child, but you need to be able to communicate to them that that behavior is not good and it's not acceptable, and the best way I, you know again, from my experience is to put them make them feel how they would react if they were in the other's shoes, and nine out of ten times, I kid you not, the kid has they may not have responded verbally or to a facial expression, but they calm down because something clicks in their head where they say, well, yeah, I, I don't want that happening to me. So why would I do it to somebody else? Does it mean they're not going to repeat it again? Of course they will repeat it again because that's part of their growing up, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to try and try and try multiple times before they learn uh, to say that that's a good thing or not a good thing to do. Uh, so that's, that's one practical advice. Um, I also wanted to share, uh, that while we're talking so greatly about empathy, and it's a great, wonderful thing, I also want to warn people that it could also be very exhaustive or exhausting. Um, because what it does to an individual who's constantly understanding what others are going through, you know, putting yourself in so many shoes, it it does become painful because there comes a time when you need to know where to stop. Um, so we don't want to teach so much empathy or such great empathy that everybody starts feeling the, the goodness and the badness of all all around because that's, that's you know, it's, it, it, it could become a burden. On the souls that that do have to, it's almost like carrying mountains on your shoulders, but at the same time, um, it's definitely a virtue or a principle. What is empathy? Is it a virtue? Is it a principle? Is it we a value? Call it an attribute. An attribute. Yeah. Uh, so definitely a great, great thing. Um, but I think uh, empathy combined with compassion, because compassion is. Um, what I'm what I'm kind of going through in the literature that I'm hearing is that all of, I mean, compassion was a great thing and it's still a great thing, right? But now there's more focus on empathy over compassion. I think there needs to be a fine balance or kind of like a a, a mutual agreement between the two because you cannot be empathetic without being compassionate. And vice versa in a, in a in a in a way too because to be compassionate kind of takes away that burden that you will start feeling is you'll feel sad and you'll feel uh either sorry or sad or happy or whatever the emotion is you'll start sharing that with the community or the people with you and empathy is kind of like the next level where it will make you feel like what would you do how would you react if you were in that in that position and so I think one without the other is going to be problematic in my opinion but having both of those work together and 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 live within you i think could make you if there's anything close to a perfect person then a perfect person because you're 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 living a life to the full capacity of being able to understand others connect with others but also do it in a compassionate, kind way where you don't have to be mean about anything or anybody uh, to be who you are and be completely comfortable with. So I, I want to pick your thoughts. Do you agree or disagree with me on that? I'm just laughing because
0: <laughs> honest to goodness, Regina, we just talked about that in last week's podcast. You haven't seen it? I haven't seen it, no. But it's almost word for word. What Austin and I talked about. There you go. <laughs> so yes, I wholeheartedly agree, because we can tend to they call people empaths who are constantly mm-hmm. connected and feeling all of it, and it can begin to almost make you unwell. Yeah. because it just weighs on you constantly, and it's the stress, and it's not just the bad. It's also the good. So you're just like constantly (laughs) yo-yoing. But then if you can take that and connect and have the feeling, but then have compassion as well, it gives you, it puts you back in that your space, right? That's where that healthy ego kind of comes in. It's like, I'm back to being me. I know I can put myself in your shoes and I can feel that now I can have compassion for whatever you're navigating, joyful, yeah. sorrowful, or otherwise I can have compassion. Now we can all be in it together, but from our own healthy sense of self mm-hmm. kind of space. And so, yes, it has to be that beautiful blend. So love that you brought that up.
1: <laughs> I'm glad I could. I'm glad I could. Cause I'm, I'm going through it and it's, It is taking a toll on me, to be quite honest, Um, constantly and constantly not pushing myself. I don't think I'm pushing myself, but constantly trying to understand where the other is coming from. And while that's a wonderful thing, it also makes you feel like, gosh, when am I going to stop understanding? You almost want to stop yourself. Um, But I guess compassion doesn't only have to be for others it can be for yourself too That's, that I, I deserve care too and i deserve a break if we may call it that yeah. to 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 be me so thank you for for bringing that up because i never think of ego as a positive thing but in this in this in this level or at this level um, sometimes you do need to be selfish or egotistic to be able to say okay this is enough i i cannot take it cuz and, and at the end all it's about it's about limits right yes we recognize and realize that we as human beings are limited and recognizing those limits but with emp- with empathy and with compassion that all human beings are limited yes. no one is greater than the other I think just having that simple understanding, I think, will solve so many problems of the world that we have today.
0: Yes. And we can't just put it out there for other people and say, oh, I have empathy and compassion for you. I understand that you can only do so much, so I'm not going to hold you to more than that. But here I am. (laughs) I can do it all. Yeah. At some point, we have to be willing to be the example. Yes and yes. otherwise we're talking out both sides of our mouth right it's that old saying and so we don't i know between you and i we definitely don't desire to do that but i don't think anyone really desires to do that so if we're willing to hold empathy for ourselves and compassion mm-hmm. and take that time mm-hmm. to just shut it down and relax i think there's some benefit to that right but but i think I don't know how much time we have.
1: I think one other element that we didn't touch upon was empathy doesn't necessarily, and how we've conversed today is about children and education and development to a certain extent, but empathy, even in every aspect of life from work, you know, from our office to, to the shopping, you know when we go shopping to when we go out to eat um to you know every aspect of life that you don't need to be empathetic towards a certain element of life that you pick and then not be in other aspects of it i think once a person decides and wishes and wills to become a more empathetic person then that empathy needs to kind of become an umbrella for all aspects of that life, whether it's your work, whether it's your colleagues, your, you know, the the charity work you might be doing, your family, your neighbors, uh, strangers on the street, strangers in a marketplace. And I think that that's also something that I've noticed that people pick and choose. Yes. And that could be problematic too, because when you choose to be empathetic, then expand it. Kind of like a original circle, right? We, we, we don't want to just limit it to this aspect of my life or that aspect of my life. It encompasses all aspects of my life. And, and it has, the beautiful thing is that empathy has the ability to be inserted in every aspect of our life, if we allow it.
0: Yeah. It can, it can become a state of being. Exactly. Instead of it starts as a mindful practice, right? Sure. You have to bring it into your thought process. I am choosing to be empathetic mm. in this moment. And that's why we talked about like actual tools and practices, because if we're not taught as children, or it isn't part of our upbringing, right. or right. it isn't something that has been introduced to us as a consistent part, now maybe we learned how to be empathetic in little bits and pieces here or there, if it wasn't consistent, then it has to be a mindful practice that we're choosing. Mm. But as that becomes part of your constant practice, then suddenly you find that you're just being Mm. empathetic. But then that goes back to what you were saying about, be careful that as you're being it, you don't burn out from it. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's, it's
1: so it almost requires you to manage it
0: mm-hmm. to
1: be you. You also need to become a manager of your own level of empathy, or the amount of empathy you take or 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 practice. Because if you don't manage it, it could lead to a burnout,
0: which we don't want. Yes. So it's like that little dial exactly. that you can dial up exactly. or down. Like once you hit that stride, it's like all right, turn it up, turn it down. And so it's very interesting, the whole flow of it, as you enter into these realms of, all right, I'm committed to being a heart leader. I'm going to lead my life from my heart center and really integrate into this. But where is my balance point? Right. Have a balance point for ego. Have a balance point for empathy. It's different for every one of us. Where is my personal balance point for being healthy? and
1: that and that's an incredibly important thing to do but also hopefully not hard it could be hard uh so um aligning yourself with people you know who practice it regularly is can definitely be another tool to help you build that because it's it's hard to find people who practice uh, you know empathy and compassion all the time and so it's it's incredibly important to kind of do a self-assessment to see how many of the people and the folks that I interact with regularly actually practice that because I think it's a also kind of like a um, what's that word uh, not a sponge but it spills over Yeah. so who your friends are who you're who you're interacting with can have and will have a spilling effect and if you're not around people who hold these values and virtues and um, principles near and dear to their heart, then chances are you're probably not going to get that either, so it's important to be able to notice such Um, attributes and others around you to be able to then see how much of that do I want if I don't have any if you recognize that you don't have any empathy and if you want to bring empathy to become part of your life then it maybe start with your close friends and family to see who has it and how can you get it from them
0: great advice thank you for being here for filming another one of these podcasts with us. I'm very grateful for your time. We're just going to have to keep making you a repeat <laughs> guests. I would
1: love to come again and again. And thanks for everybody who's watching. Thank you for your love and compassion and empathy. And uh, thank you for being who you are.
0: I receive that. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Heart Leader Podcast, where heart and mind align. I'm your host, Amber, and this month, if you didn't get it from the podcast, is all about empathy. We do have the empathy tool available out in the Heart Leader toolbox, so just pop on over there and take a peek. And if you would like to get a hold of Rangina to ask any questions, you can send us a message at info at and we will make sure that it gets to her. This woman is a wealth of information from so many different areas. So if anything that she said today sparked interest for you or you have anything that you would like to dive deeper within, Just drop us a line and we will make certain that it gets to her. Until next time, we look forward to seeing you in the Suivera community. You've been listening to the Heart Leader Podcast with your host, Amber, where heart and mind align. Tune in weekly as we take a deeper dive into what it means to be a heart leader. Ready to take the next step? Join us and over 1 million people worldwide who've united in creating this global movement of love. Become a heart leader for today and tomorrow. Learn more and connect with us at swibera.org.